the real hip hop. Hip hop. The real hip hop. Peace. This is Sharon Shabazz, and you're listening to the RealHipHop.com podcast. On this episode, I talked to nerdcore rapper Megaran. Megaran recently released an EP titled Ages, Volume 1. The EP has a more serious tone than his more recent work. On Ages, Megaran tackles subjects like growing up as a latchkey kid in Philadelphia, having to address racism in his music, and just barely making it as a hip-hop artist. On this show, Megaran discusses whether he'll return to his original profession of teaching, being a black rapper with a mostly white fan base, and his new EP, Ages, Volume 1. Why'd you call the new EP Ages? Well, when I first started writing for it, I realized that each song was kind of me Rapping from a perspective of myself at a younger age. Um, a song called Double A is just about me getting a Walkman and wanting to play my new music, but not having any batteries for it. Um, Latchkey Kid is about just coming home at a young age and having a house to myself and trying to figure things out for myself at home. Um, so yeah, once I had a few records done, I was like, oh, well, this is age eight and this is age 19 and this is age 30 you know so uh so that's where ages came from and then when i got halfway through it i realized that ages spelled backwards is sega which is kind of crazy and i'm like maybe that's where it came from but i didn't even know any of that so i just was like all right well i guess it fits let me just keep going (laughs) okay um the project seems more serious to me than some of your more recent work. Um, yeah. Would you say that's a fair assessment? And if so, why did you take that route, this go-round? Oh, absolutely. It's intentional because this year, I just realized like it's a perfect project to end off the year with because for me, I started the year doing a lot of um, you know less serious stuff. We did the, uh, the book album. I did uh, a bunch of wrestling stuff this year. It's been a great year, but it hasn't necessarily been a great year for me uh, doing like self-expressive music that people might have expected from me in the past. So um, I wanted to create the balance. You know, I'm always looking for the balance whenever I create projects. Um, I always want to try to balance out Mega Ran and Raheem, you know, and uh, and that's what I wanted to do with this album is give bring some of the balance back. Okay. On the song Upside Down, you get really introspective, man. Um, but what inspired your verse? Right now. Right now. Sometimes I pretend that it's all gravy. Even when it's obvious, everything's all crazy. My vibe's off lately. The ground is all shaky. Mine's all spacey. Trigger off safety. The homies see victories and think life goes. One minute I'm sweating, and the next I'm ice cold. 
Eyes roll to the back of my head, knowing I'm lacking the bread to buy back everything that this life stole. Live show still a jet versus still fire. Blindfold in the pit till I feel inspired. Time saved is a sine wave and it's meaningless when you feel like your mind's flayed like Will Byers. All dried out like a mummified. My brothers try to visit, I tell them another time. Close the eyes in the nighttime, come alive. Stranger things than Hawkins in the summertime. Brothers try just to get what they deserve. Hoping that the game never kick them to the curb. <laughs> never dreamed I'd be living as disturbed. Devil on my shoulder and he whispering the words. Word. Right now, everything is upside down. Everything is upside down right now. Right now. Everything is upside down. Everything is upside down right now. Well, I just thought about how people look at what I'm doing as like me living the dream and loving my life. But then I realized that I look at my life like I'm working super hard just to try to maintain a little bit of something, you know, like we're not winning Grammys. We're not, uh, you know, flying first class everywhere and, uh, and raking in the dough. So it's, it's just perspective. And, um, and that's where upside down for me comes from. Cause it's like, kids look at me and be like, Oh man, he living the life. He's, he's balling, you know? And I look at it like, are you crazy? Like, nah, I'm struggling to pay bills, you know? So it's just, um, and just using the uh, the reference point of Stranger Things, which is the show that I really loved a lot, how like when you go through the upside down, you're in the same place, but it just looks a lot different. It looks scarier. It looks run down. It's dark. And uh, and that's really what life is when you look at it through a different lens. So that's really what it was. Uh, that's what inspired those lyrics. Wow. Now you were famously a teacher. Um, do you ever look back or do you ever contemplate going back to that just for the stability? Uh, no, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> uh, I loved teaching. I didn't, mm-hmm. I did not love the, the bureaucracy, the staff, the rules, the, the creativity strains that they put on you in a, and I just don't feel like they fully care about these kids, man. I, I just, I can't, I couldn't shake that. I was in a really rough situation my last year of teaching where like, if I didn't get out of there, I felt like I was just, I, if I didn't have music, I don't know what I'd have done. Like, because I just didn't want to be a part of what they were doing. Like, I just didn't feel like kids at all were being taken care of um, or if their best interest was at heart. So, um, Nah, man, I, I joke with my wife and say, I'll go work at Walmart before I teach again. And I, it's a part joke, but I don't really know if it's, it's fully a joke because that's how I feel sometimes. Like, at least you know what the deal is with Walmart and you're not hurting and, and, and putting kids' lives and futures in the balance, you know, from, you know, selling, stocking some shelves, you know. So I, I look at it like it's a more honorable profession. I think education here needs a lot of reform before it feels honorable to me. Um, There are people there who love it and do great work doing teaching. And it is probably the most rewarding thing you can do because you're hands on with kids. But 
if somebody's stepping in every day like, ah, oh, Mr. Jarbo, I didn't really like the way you you told this kid about this or I didn't like the, you know, that you played him hip hop in the classroom or uh, you don't have enough colorful posters outside of your room and motivational speeches. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they, they become it micromanage you to the point where you're almost not motivated to do your job. So uh, that is why I don't know if I'd go back. Teaching maybe college, I don't know. I want to go out and speak. I think honestly, when when rap's over for me, I just want to go to schools and talk and tell people stuff that hopefully they need to hear, and that hopefully won't get me like kicked off the campus. <laughs> but I'm gonna give it to I them think, real. I think you can do that now. I think so. I mean, I I like doing this, and so now I'm at a point where if people are hitting me up to come out. I would want to perform. So I'd be like, oh, well, let me let's rock a show and then I'll talk to him or I'll also talk and then we'll follow it up with a performance, you know. So either way, um, but I would love to do that now. OK. All right. On the song Walking on Water 2.0, um, you said they wish I wouldn't talk about race so much. Probably wouldn't if it wasn't in my face so much. And that's that's a heavy line man how has the current racial climate in america affected your music and your interaction with your fan base i'm swimming upstream trying to live my dream swimming upstream trying to live my dream Never been afraid of any sort of karma Feel untouchable like I got the Zora armor And I'm walking on water Yeah, feel like I'm walking on water Yeah, feel like I'm walking on water Yeah, like I'm walking on water just because I've been rapping a long time. Man, I want people to call me a legend because I've been giving them strong rhymes. Since round about 9-5, I've been online. Same time, I've been on mine. Grinding, showing on time. Never late, better get it straight. So, no, I don't like to talk, prefer to demonstrate. Took what I was given and I whipped it into lemonade. Packaged it and sold it on the information interstate. Cash shows to imitate, I prefer to innovate. They wish I didn't talk about race so much. I probably wouldn't if it wasn't in my face so much i can't help but wonder why we all just hate so much watch the news man and i can only take so much feel me i wanted all couple dogs bless the wife and kids but it's so hard always gone with the life i live wish i could ball stay involved with the time i give but i come home and i barely recognize the crib huh only black face in my cul-de-sac rebel flags in my neighbor's garage think i don't notice that maybe i should just get over that but even i get sick I hold him back, you feel me? I'm swimming upstream, trying to live my dream. Swimming upstream, trying to live my dream. Never been afraid of any sort of karma. Feel untouchable like I got the Zora armor. And I'm walking on water. Yeah, feel like I'm walking on water. Yeah, feel like I'm walking on water. Yeah, like I'm walking mm, that's a great question. Um, honestly, the line is just, it comes from the conversations I have with my friends and, uh, or even like my fans or people who'd be like, Oh man, this is very racial. And you know what I mean? It's like, well, I wouldn't even realize that I was different if I wasn't constantly told and treated like I was different. 
you know, mm-hmm. and that's just really what it is. So I think that um, people it, it's uncomfortable to talk about race, but we're just in a really crazy time. You know, racially, I read a report that says like people think that race is more of an issue now than it was in the 60s, which is crazy. But I think the people who are saying that weren't around in the 60s. But, uh, you know, what I'm saying like we literally couldn't even drink at the same water fountains. Like now you could drink at the water fountain, but the person behind you might be looking at you funny. I think that you're less of a human, you know, and it's it's crazy that people then would be like, well, at least. At least racism and prejudice was overt and in your face rather than the the covert racism, which is, I think, a little more deadly, you know, where now it's a person that is is looking at your loan application and thinking, oh, nah, you ain't nah, you know, or you move into the neighborhood and they're thinking like, nah, mm, I don't like this. So this just in this year alone, a lot has happened. I moved to a new neighborhood and it's like. We're the only black people on the block and, uh, you know, everybody waves and smiles, but occasionally they open up their garages and I see stuff inside that I'm like, whoa, what's up with the the Confederate flag, you know, or the Trump signs and, and the thing. So it's a, it's a very covert time for that. And, um, and I think it's important. I learned this just through my travels because a lot of fans of mine are white and I, I think that's amazing and great. But a lot of them don't know a lot of black people and they don't get to hear music from the black perspective. So I think it's just important to remind people that I am a black man. And uh, I I remember talking to Samus, my homie, about it. And I was like, yo, they love your music, man. But how do you feel when you say the N word on stage? And, And like they can't say it back to you. But like and she's like, yeah, they better not. And I was like, well word and i was like so 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 why say it and she's like i just want them to i want them to be reminded that i am a black person doing this you know what i mean and yeah there's some some places i can go that you can't so why can't i why shouldn't i take advantage of that and i thought that was an interesting perspective on that and so whereas i i wouldn't necessarily do that i haven't put you know that kind of colorful language in my music and maybe i will at some point but uh, with reason, of course. And um, but with me, it's like, OK, I can talk about racial inequality issues in my music because they're not going to hear it from anybody else. Because a lot of people come up to me like, man, I only listen to you when it comes to rapping or I listen to you and a few other people that you put me on to, you know. So I know that the the kids who are listening to me might not be getting this perspective. So that's a long answer to your <laughs> your short question. No, that's a that's a great answer. But I want to hop on what you said about your uh, fans being mostly white. It, it reminds me of, um, I think it was a Roots record where Common said, "When we perform, it's just coffee shop chicks and white dudes." <laughs> yep. It, what there's a segment of hip hop that black people only mess with a little bit. And mm-hmm. I don't really understand it. I never have, but it's been a long time. Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's your opinion of um, every other race coming out to your shows or coming to a root show or a common show and not our people? 
Wow. It's, it's interesting, man. It's to the point now, like, I don't mind it, but man, when I do see a black kid or a black woman at my show, like I get excited, you know, I go up and I want to talk to them and just get information about where they're from. I want to learn what, what, what made them come? Like, Hey, did you, did you think you was about to hear a different type of rap music? Like what happened? You know? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I've had people, friends of mine, it's, it's ironic, like black friends of mine will make that comment and be like, oh, they see a picture of me in the with the crowd and be like, nothing but white people. And I'm like, yeah, because you wasn't there. You know what I mean? And so I think that people need to realize that you got to take the responsibility. You can't point the finger if you're not uh, trying to help the problem. You know, you point the finger, three's pointing back at you. Uh, so I really think that, that the people who have that issue with it need to make an effort to come out the shows and support the things that they claim to love. And uh, I don't know, man, I wish I could explain it, but like conscious rap is like the thing for that black people are not really into for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know I saw you at uh, where was I? Where, where, what festival was that? Soundset. That was Soundset in Minneapolis. Granted, it's Minneapolis, but still, like, mostly white kids, you yeah. know, out there. And uh, I think, and I've had a friend tell me that he thinks it's because of, like, the price of festivals and things like that. And I think it's it's now priced out a lot of black uh, youth who might want to attend. Um, I don't really know if that's the case, but, I mean, it sounds like a good, good reason. Um, it's just like, you go to an NBA game, all the players are black, but all the fans are not, mm-hmm. you know? And so same thing, you know, because basketball tickets aren't cheap. So I, that really could be a part of it. You know, I don't know for sure, but it really could be. It's, I think it is a small part of it or a large part. I'm not sure. Um, but I interviewed Tech Nine years ago and he mentioned mm-hmm. how all his fans are white. And mm-hmm. I mentioned the expensive price of the tickets and he jumped down my throat. <laughs> he was like, really? I'm not co-signing that. Um, nah, you know, our people have money. I'm not saying that. Hmm. Um, what I said was, it was the way I phrased the question or the statement that pissed him off. But what I said was, our people have other priorities. Hmm. We might put more stock in paying the bills or getting fly for the weekend than mm-hmm. buying a ticket to a concert. And he thought that was, you know, wrong. And, you know, that's his right. But I think there's some truth to that. And I, I hear what I think I hear what he's saying. Like, we have money when we want to have money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when the new Yeezys drop, we got money for that. Yeah. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I get I get it. Like, he doesn't want to make excuses for people, especially adults. I use it as a as a child's as excuse. Like, okay, if you're 18 or under and you're living with your parents, they may not want to throw you that money for a concert. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. When you're 30 plus, I feel like you can you can spend money on whatever you want to spend money on. So whether it's a Tech Nine concert or a Migos concert or some the new Jordans that drop for the seventeenth time <laughs> in your lifetime, you know what I mean? Like people do make the time and the effort for the things that they want. So that that's, I get that. But 
I do think that there has to be some sort of reasoning. You look at the prices for a lot of these big festivals and it's not priced for like the average poor kid, you know, and even if there was a moment like I I realized one the cool thing about out here and I hope that every like baseball team does this. But the Diamondbacks, they have a section of the stadium where tickets are always eight dollars and it's like maybe I don't know, maybe 60 tickets that are always eight dollars every single game. And it's like, well, there you go. Like, if you want to come to this game, you get in early, get one of the the $68 tickets. And that helps, you know, for kids and for other people who might not be able to afford these expensive tickets. You got a thing. So I wish there was like that in concerts. Like, okay, well, a festival, early birds, the first hundred are going to be half price or something like that, I think could help. And we don't know if that's the issue because they haven't tried it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of um, things surrounding that that we probably shouldn't get into now. But, yeah, the the economics of it is a huge one. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to go somewhere else, but I'll just keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Latchkey is my favorite song on ages because it reminds me of my childhood. Um, Nice. When was the moment that you realized, like, hey, maybe things aren't as great at home as I thought they were? This is all about perspective. I grew up thinking we were good. We were rich. Now look back like, wow. It was really, really a struggle. Be like, do what I say and not what I do. That's the clearance to proceed to go and act the fool. I used to sneak sips of brew, brag about it to the kids at school. Pretending that my mama didn't care about my well-being or whereabouts. Family arguments, no shame, I would air it out. My intention was immersion, but it was obvious that my acting out was serving as diversions. I think the year was maybe 9-1. Mom had two jobs, but most couldn't find one. And I got A's without effort, while all my other homies would stray without shepherds. They say the devil's playground is idle time, so I would stay around the house and try to write a rhyme. Mom got in around 6 a.m., and if my homework wasn't out, it was mayhem. And even if we had none, I would tell her that I had some and go and get some math done. No dad, cause he up and split. We'd open up the oven door to heat up the crib. Cold, Cold. wasn't an athlete. Only time I ran was to avoid getting my ass beat. Trying to make friends with all the bad seeds. 11 years old with acne. They called me the latchkey kid. There it is. You better come straight home. Anybody knocks on the door, just say no. Keep the living room straight and don't touch that stove. And don't let anybody tell you we broke. You better come straight home. Anybody knocks on the door, just say no. Keep the living room straight and don't touch that stove. And don't let anybody tell you we broke. Cause we gon' be alright. It was almost instant respect. To see a shiny quick set key around the kid's neck. 
Now many had the house to himself, which almost many outgrew the belt. And I was truly raised by a village, cause if they caught me slipping, I would get it. Inexplicably so freaking hard-headed. And it was normal seeing me in trouble. And then when my mom came home, she hit me hard and make the beat and double. Every day, borrowing sugar from the neighbor house. Watching TV over there because our cable's out. Like Game Boy, it was my prized possession. Every day I learned quick how to dodge a question like... Y'all, I know your mom's a stressing. She would say that every setback provides a lesson. Gas bills and collection. Supply side economics got us all regressing. And I'm always nothing but my ambition. We ain't poor, just in transition. Up in church with my hands risen. Tell me, Lord, can you hear my transmission? Forgive my transgressions. Same story as last week. Life's kind of funny if you ask me. How poverty can make you mad deep. And in the corner, that's me. 12-year-old with acne, they call me the latchkey kid. You better come straight home. Anybody knocks on the door, just say no. Keep the living room straight and don't touch that stove. And don't let anybody tell you we broke. You better come straight home. Anybody knocks on the door, just say no. Keep the living room straight and don't touch that stove. And don't let anybody tell you we broke. Cause we gon' be alright. I think I remember heating up uh, the house with the oven and thinking that was like kind of a normal thing Uh, until I started hanging out with other friends across town who didn't do that on those cold days. You know, they had heaters and heating systems and, and, you know, things were good. They weren't like, sitting on the couch were still wearing their coats and things like that. You know what I mean? And I think that's when I realized it, but like my mom did her best, you know, to keep me from that. And I, I respect that so much about her is that she would never let me use the word like broke or poor or anything like that, you know? And she's just like, nah, like we're fine. And as far as I knew, we were fine. Because Christmas time was dope, you know, and birthdays were dope and I didn't go without new school clothes, you know. So I appreciate her for that and for keeping me kind of out of the out of the like the hurtful part of it, you know, where I've seen from other friends where moms would be like, look, we ain't got it. We poor. Don't be asking like we ain't got it, you know, that kind of thing. And my mom was really, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe because she grew up poor and she was just like, I don't want my kid to feel like he's less than any other kid out there. So, uh, so yeah, man, I give her a lot of props for that because as far as I knew, I thought we were okay until I looked and seen like just small things where I was just like, oh man, like maybe, maybe we're not great, you know, but there was never a moment where my mom was like, oh, you got to go get a job or you got to go do this and we need some help. It was I, I never heard her ask for help, you know, because she's very proud. And I mean, I'm sure most most black women, single moms are like that. But I think moms just like just like teachers, just like any sort of leader, like you can't let them see you sweat, you know. So even when it's when it's crazy, you can't let anybody know that it's it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely relate to that one. Hmm. 
Um, okay, you and I, we share a pro wrestling fandom. Uh, we met at WrestleMania in New Orleans like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I also interviewed you a few years back about the Matt Mania album. Mm-hmm. Um, this past year, you've gotten more involved in the wrestling world with Ring of Honor, appearing at StarCast, and Xavier Woods from WWE raps on the bonus track on the EP. Um, have you gained any new Mega Ran fans from your work in the wrestling world? I, I have. It's been interesting. It's been really cool. Like I've seen, I've had people come to my shows who are like, yo, man, I I was at, you know, Supercard of Honor, you know, I was there in the garden and I heard you rap there and was like, became a fan. I'm like, really? When they booed me out the building, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like, you just never know who's listening, you know, or who's watching. So I've had people come up because of the wrestling stuff. Oh, you did these wrestling songs in 2015 that were on what culture every week, you know, uh, you did this wrestling song about the new day. And then my friend sent it to me and I was like, yeah. So it's been pretty cool, you know, to, to get fans from different places. Now I'm at the point where I like, I poll people like at a show, I'm like, yo, how'd you hear about this? Or how'd you hear about me? You know, and I get all kinds of answers. Hey man, I was on your stream. You know, you were playing this new game that I wanted to check out, and I saw you streaming on Twitch. I came through. I saw you at TwitchCon. I saw you at StarCast, you know. Uh, I heard you DJing at this thing, you know. Um, I heard a song, which is dope, because, like, I never know. And uh, it's awesome to to be able to have people come from different places. My ultimate goal in this, and this was when I first started, when Mega Ran first became a thing, my, my goal in this whole process was to eventually have a room full of people at a concert that are like the nerds like the cool kids the hip-hop heads like the wrestling heads the anime comic book heads all in one place at the same time and being able to have a good time together you know because as a kid i couldn't bring those groups together like i would have my anime nerd friends i'd have my video game nerd friends i have my wrestling nerd friends and then my like real hip hop friends and they were never all the same people, you know, and uh, and now I'm able to meet people thanks to the Internet and from traveling that are into all of these things, you know, and they're able to to like appreciate all of them, which is real dope. Yeah, that is dope. OK, this is Ages Volume One. When can we expect to hear Volume Two? Oh, man, it's only like a week old. We can't talk about volume two yet. It's not even written. Honestly, I I didn't want to call it volume one. I I think it was like a clerical error of mine that made it become called volume one. But I think that's okay because I always enjoy like my favorite, pretty much all my favorite artists have done a part two or part whatever of something that they've created. So um creating it and calling it volume one does hopefully create the demand for more so maybe next next winter uh if anything there'll be like a once a year thing like all right i need to tell you where i am right now it's time for ages part two you know or ages part three um so yeah i i was an accident but a happy accident like bob ross says because i think that there will be multiple of these and uh I made sure that the cover is a like an eight bit winter scene, but it's also a uh, like row homes from Philly, 
like the style houses that I grew up in, but like in an eight bit style. And uh, and it's a wintry trees in the background. So the next one will come at a different season and we'll just continue it that way. Through the cold, I felt like you got to tell stories like Latchkey in, in the wintertime. Those are those are cold winter songs. So the next one will be in a different season. So if it's spring, then we'll talk about growth and, you know, things like that. And if it's, uh, you know, summer, we'll talk about like enjoying, having fun and all that. But that's, that's where I think they're going to go. So there'll be at least four uh, volumes of ages. All right. Megaran, thank you for joining the realhiphop.com podcast. I appreciate you, bro. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Peace. All right. Peace. The real hip hop MC and DJ from your own mind, you know. I just right now we should start the show.